Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco here on the Master Photography Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. I am so amazed at the listeners of Photo Taco and uh, excited to have you aboard. I hope you'll consider sharing the podcast with other photographers. If you find it something that you enjoy, I hope you'll go and uh, invite other photographers to take a listen and join us on the show. The more we can expand our community, the more it makes us so I can do this. So I'd love to have your help there if you can. Also super excited that the Create Photography Retreat is a mere couple of weeks away, uh, days away as I'm recording this episode here in March 2019 and just can't wait for that. I, I love meeting listeners. More than that, though, I love being able to interact with photographers and uh, I love sharing what I know about photography. I love learning from other photographers. It's super energizing. I'm just, I'm so excited for the the retreat and be able to go and do that. Focus on photography, like all 100% for three days. I always get so charged up. I did a couple of Photo Taco episodes now about the retreat and what I like about it. Conferences in general, totally recommend that, that that's what you consider investing in. Um, rather than like the most expensive new camera body, the most expensive lens, whatever it is that you're planning to do, like gear wise, maybe skip the gear once the next gear thing that you're expecting to go buy and invest that in some kind of education workshop course, something like that. And it just like really revitalizes me. I, I really absolutely love it. So super excited about that, but let's get to our show topic today. It's going to be me trying to tackle the topic of the, in, the a brand new feature that Adobe put into Camera Raw, which means it's made its way into Lightroom Classic CC, Lightroom CC, but only the desktop version, and Photoshop, because Camera Raw is available in all three of those pieces of software in the February 2019 release. So this is for Lightroom. It's version 8.2, Lightroom Classic CC 8.2. That's the primary way I've played with it, but it's in the other software as well. All right. So this is like a perfect topic for Photo Taco because I there's justification. There's a reason to like dive in and have a super geeky discussion about how our cameras work. And I love this. I I love every time I dive into this, every time I go research uh, details about how things function, finding out some information about the really cool people who are part of the history and, and helped make the cameras be what they are today. There's some brilliant people who solved some incredible problems and just it's really cool to see how smart people are and how awesome people are. And I'm going to point out some of that today in this episode. It's really fun. Now, I'm not an engineer who has, you know, intimate details and knowledge about camera sensors. I'm not going to pretend like I, I'm at that level here. But I have read a lot of the white papers, a lot of, uh, a lot of information as I prepared for this episode and have, a, you know, a rough understanding about how it is that our cameras are converting light into digital files on our memory card. There's some process that goes on there. And it's amazing to me that we've figured out how to do that. It's super, super cool. And then, so as part of describing this enhanced details feature, it's going to be helpful 
to go through that. I'm going to oversimplify it like crazy because I'm not going to, you know, it would take hours and hours. And I fundamentally, I don't have the information and knowledge to be able to cover it at that level of detail. So I'm going to like way oversimplify things. We're going to talk about it at a pretty high level, but it's it's pertinent to the enhanced details feature um, that Adobe's added to the software here. So with that, let's let's dive into this. I want to start our discussion of enhanced details by reading what I think is probably a uh, well, it's it's like the press release that Adobe provided about the enhanced details feature. So in Josh Josh Haftel's blog post, which I will put a link to in the show notes where he introduced kind of the new stuff in that release in February 2019. He had a couple of paragraphs that described the enhanced details feature. I'm going to read word for word what that was. And I think for many of you, you're going to say, I don't even understand what that's saying. (laughs) But we'll see. I mean, if you do great, if not, I do. I'm going to tell you what are the key takeaways that I think photographers should be interested in about what this statement means. So let's let's read Josh's statement here in the press release that Adobe provided on their blog. He said, in this release, we're introducing an all-new Sensei-powered feature, Enhanced Details. Harnessing the power of machine learning and computational photography, Enhanced Details can now be found in Adobe Camera Raw, Lightroom Classic CC, and Lightroom CC for Mac and Windows, and takes a brand new approach to demosaicing raw files. Demosaicing is an integral process to raw processing and works at the pixel level, converting the information captured by camera into something that looks like the photos we expect to see. The new enhanced details algorithm enables you to increase the resolution of both Bayer and Xtrans based photos up to 30%. Enhanced details works on any raw file apart from files converted to a linear raw file like HDR, Panorama merged files, though you can apply enhanced details to the ingredients first and then merge. Smart proxies, lossy compressed DNGs, or DNGs saved with a 1.1 compatibility. Applying enhanced details to your photos can greatly improve fine detail rendering, improve the reproduction of fine colors, and resolve issues that some customers reported with their Fujifilm X-Trans-based cameras. All right, there's, <laughs> there's the couple of paragraphs. And so let me break down what I take out of those paragraphs. Um, hopefully, this is something that will be helpful for, for you if those don't make a whole lot of sense. So the first takeaway here, enhanced details requires a raw file. I hope that by the time I go through the explanation about kind of the, you know, the high level process that is happening with how, how your camera is turning light into a digital file on your memory card, that it'll make sense why that is. That this is not a feature that's going to work on JPEG files. It needs a RAW file, and it needs to have a specific kind of RAW file. Most of you listening, it's just going to be the RAW files you're used to having on your computer or on your from your camera. So any most everyone listening, what it won't probably work with is going to be something where your camera is doing something special to the RAW file in camera. So there's some cameras that may support a panorama sort of feature where it's going to like stitch together multiple RAW files or a um, some other kind of HDR process, something like that, where it's, it's actually doing some work and changing the RAW files. And you end up with a RAW file still, maybe in the in camera, 
But those RAW files that are kind of processed in the camera are not going to be compatible with this either. It needs to be kind of a single shot, normal RAW file. That's what this is going to work on. And that's where enhanced details might make a difference in the sharpness of your photo. How much of a difference? Well, that's the point number two that I want you to take away from this statement. I think it's, a well, no, it's not that I think. Adobe said it's up to 30% more fine detail. Now, if you think of 30% of something, it's not that much. 30% and it's only up to 30%. So we're going to talk more about this in a second. But the expectation you should have at the beginning of this episode is, yeah, this is not going to be earth changing. All right. We're going to talk more about that, though. All right. The third one is the availability. How can you use this? It's only in the desktop software that you can run from Adobe, Lightroom Classic CC, Lightroom CC, and Photoshop, which I've already kind of explained. But don't expect it on mobile, at least not yet. Maybe it will come. Uh, We'll have to see. I don't know that it will help as much with mobile either. That's maybe that's a part of the point. All right. Now, the last point to take away from this um, that I wanted to walk through is it works best on Xtrans RAW files. And we're going to, I hope by the end of this episode that you're going to understand a lot better about Xtrans. Um, and it's a type of color filter array. And we're going to get to that. I'm going to go into, that's going to be the geeky part of this episode. I'm going to try to describe to you kind of what these color filter arrays are doing and how it works so that you can understand. But some of you listening, if you're a Fuji X series shooter, you're already familiar and probably have already given up on Adobe, I would guess. A lot of you have probably already said, ah, the, the, the raw conversion that Adobe software is doing with your raw files just doesn't look as good as it does with other programs. And uh, Adobe has admitted that along the way. So they, they even in a release of Lightroom CC 2015.1, back in 2015, um, they even had this in their release notes. They improved Camera Raw to reduce color blur artifacts when processing Fujifilm's X-Trans Raw images. In collaboration with Fujifilm, they said, we are still investigating methods to improve fine detail rendering and overall edge detection. So they knew that there were issues there. They recognized that there were issues there. And in that release, they did a little bit of work to try to make it better. I think for the most part, it still wasn't enough. And most Fuji shooters that I know, they don't use Lightroom because of this problem. Or they do the raw conversion from it to like a TIFF file or something like that, maybe to a DNG with another utility. I think a really common or popular one is one from Irredent Digital. And um, so that that's a tool that is out there that will do this kind of conversion from the raw file to a DNG. And then you can take it into Lightroom from there and, and work with it. So what Enhanced Details uh, does works a little better or has a better chance of having more of an impact on Fujifilm X-Trans RAW files. So outside of that, there's actually kind of a less of a chance. It's still designed to work on all kinds of RAW files across all of the major camera makers. Uh, if you are shooting RAW on any modern digital camera, you you can give it a try. It, it's going to do a job on this. It's going to try to do something, but we'll we'll talk about when you can expect results or not. So those are kind of the four key takeaways that I wanted to make sure you had out of that statement I read from Adobe. So again, there it has to be a raw file. 
You can only expect up to about 30% more detail. It's only available in the computer versions, no mobile, and it works best on X-Trans files, which are Fuji uh, X-series camera shooters. All right. Now we get to get the, the, the geeky nerdy part. <laughs> it's the part I love the best. I really love this. It just amazes me that humans are this cool and that, <laughs> that we have been able to engineer prob- uh, uh, solutions to problems. And uh, it's just awesome that we've been able to develop uh, digital cameras so that we could not use film anymore and and get all the benefits that digital has. And of course, we've even evolving digital now into the mirrorless world. And it's just awesome. All the technology we have today, it's, it's a fantastic time to be a photographer. I absolutely love it. It's, it's just thrilling to me to be able to see it all. So I'd love to understand this. All right. Let's go dive into the geekery. So to really understand what enhanced details is doing, we have to kind of go through the basics of how it is that your camera is converting light into a digital file on your memory card. So in particular, a process that the raw data has to go through on all digital cameras. So it's not just DSLRs. This is still true for mirrorless. It's a process called demosaicing. Adobe mentioned it specifically in their press announcement. I know that word sounds horrid, demosaicing. That sounds like a really complicated engineering kind of word, but I hope that by the end of this episode, it's going to kind of make sense and you're going to understand it. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about photons to electrical charge. Again, I'm oversimplifying tremendously here, but we're going to say the main job that the sensor in the camera has is to kind of respond or react to to light Uh, for the whole duration that the shutter and aperture are opened up, allowing the light to come in through the lens, through the shutter and aperture, and then hit your sensor. The sensor has to kind of has to uh, tell or determine how much light is hitting it. The sensor is made up of a whole bunch of buckets it just to put it as a a really easy term that everyone can understand buckets millions of buckets to catch the light now most of the people call those pixels i mean even in the specs of a camera we talk about megapixels it's how many of these buckets are in that sensor to catch these this light and measure it measure how much light hit that each individual bucket so that we can render a photo and uh, another term for it is uh, photosites. And I'm going to try to use that one because pixels is such an overused term in photography. There's pixels in so many different aspects between our displays, the monitors we're using, to the resolution of files, to, we, you know, we talk about DPI and PPI. And pixels are just littered throughout our vocabulary for photography. And it can be so confusing. I want to use a different word as we talk about this. So I'm going to either call it a bucket or a photo site, or I'm going to try to through this whole episode. So our sensor has all of these buckets, photo sites that are there in the sensor, millions of them. And they're designed to work so that as photons of light, as light comes through and finally makes it through to the sensor, the more times that um, that photo site receives photons. The more photons that hit it, the more electrical charge gets recorded in the sensor data 
while that shutter, you know, for that specific press of the shutter button, the photo that you're taking. So the more photons, the brighter, the more charge it's going to get. And the fewer photons, then that means the less charge it's going to get. And so then when your camera gets done converting all the data, the places where there was a lot of charge stored up because there were tons of photons that hit that photo site is going to end up as a bright pixel, very luminant, luminosity. Um, luminance is is going to be really high, really bright, very kind of, uh, I don't want to assign color to it yet because that's not what's going on here. It's how dark or bright the pixel is going to be. The higher the charge that, that resulted from all those photons hitting the photo site, the brighter that specific pixel is going to end up being in the photo. And then the fewer photons that hit that photo site, the less charge there's going to be in the sensor when it gets read out, when the the data gets read from the sensor for the photo. And that's going to translate into a darker pixel in the photo. So see see why we need photo site versus pixels kind of an important distinction here. All right. So that's kind of the, the, you know, super generic oversimplified explanation about kind of what the digital sensor needs to do. Alone, if we didn't have anything else to be able to work with the digital sensor, we wouldn't have any color because like we talked about, it's kind of recording how many photons hit the photosite and that increases the charge behind each of those photosites. The more the charge, the brighter the pixel in the resulting photo. We can't, we don't have any color information then. All we have is how much light hit it, producing a high charge. And that's where really smart people were able to uh, come up with a concept of something called a color filter array. And this is put in front of the sensor. So behind, you know, behind the lens, behind the shutter and aperture, but just in front of the sensor, there's this color filter array. And like filters, like we think of with filters that we might put in front of our lenses. These are designed to block light, some, some types of light. Only that what they're specifically designed to do is block all but a specific color in front of these photo sites. So really cool and smart people, they figured out um, the, the first one that kind of did this and, and really worked and developed on this, did a lot of research in this area was a guy named Bryce Bayer. And you have heard before, I am sure, of Bayer filter patterns and that Bayer filters are on our camera and that it can cause some challenges in like the resolution of our sensors. And so hopefully some of that's going to click in and make a little sense now that you're listening to this episode. And it has a lot to do with this enhanced details feature that Adobe has released. So... We, the idea that that Bayer came up with, that's why it's called the Bayer filter, because his name was Bryce Bayer. This was back in 1976, by the way, which how cool is it that even back in 1976, we had s- people so super smart that they could create this stuff. I mean, it just is amazing to me how smart people are and, and how cool these engineers were to be able to, to figure out solutions to problems. Even though we have issues today that result from some of the, the stuff that they created uh, and we continue to learn more about it and try to improve it, of course we will. That's, that's forever going to be humanity. We're always going to keep trying to improve things, make things better, learn from what we've done and, and improve it. Um, it. It's a forever quest and, and I'm really excited for it. It's, it's part of what I love about technology is the way that it's, it keeps ramping up and changing. But so, so Bear, he, he realized 
I mean, everyone wants color photos. They don't just want black and white photos, even though black and white photos can be really spectacular, can really set a, a certain mood. I personally am terrible at doing it. I'm not good at deciding when something should be black and white or not. But when I see it done well, it it really conveys a lot of emotion and can really you know focus you on a specific subject because the color isn't distracting. And I think it's a very uh, a, a really neat thing about humans too. The way that, that there are artists out there that can see things in a very different way and then use this medium as in photography to convey it. But Bayer knew, okay, we've solved the problem. We or we can get we can get grayscale images. We have the luminance values that are in it, already with the sensors, the way this works. We've got it working where the photons hit those photosites and it produces an electrical charge and that's working great. But we we need color. We want to reproduce color in our photos. And so he thought, well, okay, the way we can do this is we can block light so that we only get certain colors. We can group photosites in a specific way so that we can kind of add color information to the data that the sensor is getting. Um, what we'll do is we'll put this filter over the top. We're going to group four photo sites together. And in those four photo sites, this filter is going to make it so that only green light is going to make it through the filter, hit the sensor for two of those four filters. And there's a reason for that I'll get to in just a second, why green is two of those four photo sites, this group of photo sites together. Then we're going to have um, one of those photosites covered by a filter that will only allow red light through and a fourth filter that's going to only allow blue light through. So together, you've got two greens, one red and one blue. And we're going to then we're going to cover the entire sensor, millions of these photosites with that repeating pattern just across the entire sensor. Now, why the green and the red and the blue? Well, we know we can make up the way that we see colors. We can reproduce that by having varying levels of red, green, and blue. We know that that's, that's been something that was solved long before this. So we knew that. Why two green for every one red and one blue? We like twice the information on green and uh, not as much red and, and blue. And what he determined from the research that he did was that matches best matches of the physiology of our human eyes. That is the way that we're able to reproduce the color that looks most natural to our human eyes. Very cool. I don't, I'm not sure how that came about, but it's in the research. (laughs) So, so we, that's, that's awesome that they were able to figure that out. All right. So the Bayer pattern filter is exactly that. What I just talked about four photo sites grouped together Two of them have green light will get through, will allow the green light to go through, one red light and one blue light. And it's just repeated. The exact pattern is repeated across the entire sensor. Now let's talk then, what is X-Trans filters? So Fuji X-Series cameras don't have a Bayer filter. Every other camera, for all you listeners out there, you have Bayer filters in your, your digital camera so that it can produce color. But Fuji X-Series cameras have an X-Trans filter in front of it. It's similar. It still groups photosites into a collection of four. Every four photosites are grouped together and filters are put over it. It still uses 
red, green, and blue, because that's still the best way to kind of reproduce color for us. And it still has um, two greens to every one red and one blue. So it's very, very similar. The difference is how it's repeated across the sensor. Instead of repeating exactly the same pattern over and over and over, it actually uses two patterns. It kind of, it has the one pattern, the one set of four, and then the next set of four right next to it will be kind of the opposite. It kind of swaps it. And this is much easier to see visually, and it's not super important to understanding enhanced details. So I'm not going to really worry about trying to describe the difference. If you're interested, there's going to be links in the show notes. You can go see it. But the that's the difference is it's not exactly the same pattern repeated everywhere in the sensor. It alternates a little bit. So there's a little bit more variance. Fuji was convinced in their research and, and what they're working on that it would produce finer details. Because a weakness that Fuji says that is there in the Bayer pattern is you will have some columns across the sensor where there will be absolutely no blue pixels, no blue photosites. It's going to be alternating green and red, green and red, green and red across the whole column of the sensors there. And then the next column over, there'll be no red pixels. It's only green and blue, green and blue, green and blue. Whereas with the Fuji X-Trans filter, you're going to have red, green, and blue in every single column. So their argument there is you get more detail information. It does a better job of doing this than the bear pattern filter. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. I've got some very limited experience with with shooting X-Series. I did use Lightroom, though, so maybe that's why I didn't see a dramatic difference that's not the point of the episode. I don't care about whether Bear or X-Trans is better or not. What we're trying to get to is what's happening then because we have these photosites now where more half of the photosites, 50% of the photosites across the sensor are getting green color information. 25% red and 25% blue. How do we go from there to having the full color photos that we're used to seeing? We've all seen really, really good reproduction of the colors that we saw with our own eyes, our human anatomy. We saw the eye, the the colors that were there. We used our digital cameras. We captured the image. And when we get back to process it, the the, the color is reproduced very, very well. How does it go then from only having these photo sites, red, green, and blue, to having full reproduced color? That's the demosaicing process. That's how it is. That's that's what's taking it from the red, green, and blue, all those photosites that are kind of dedicated to the red, green, and blue colors, and it's producing the full color in every pixel. And what it means is demosaicing is like a really scientific way of talking about guessing. It it fundamentally is guessing. It's guessing what the color of the pixel in the photo should end up being based on the information it gets from the photosites. Not just the one photosite. I mean, it would work if if the green photosite, if the color filter array in front of the photosite was green, was only allowing green through, and that photosite got filled up, just got bombarded with photons of light, then yeah, we're going to know that that pixel should be green. Same with the blue and the red. If if it got bombarded with photons, we'll know. The sensor will be able, the data will tell us, oh, that's a blue pixel and that's a red pixel. 
So in some cases, you're going to know exactly what it should be. But in some cases, we're not going to be sure. You're going to have, well, the green one didn't get filled all the way up. The red one next door, it caught a little bit. The blue one across, it also got a little. We can kind of use some guessing. We can use the data from the sensor, from the the surrounding photo sites, and maybe even expand the search a little bit. Not just the four photo sites in a group, but go next door to the next four and up to the four above and the four to the left. And, and we can get some information and we can make some good guesses, especially when there's big patches of color. When, when the same color is there across a huge portion of the sensor, then we can make really good guesses. The, the, the camera can make really good guesses or the demosaicing process, whatever's doing the demosaicing process can make really good guesses about what the color of each pixel in the final photo should be. All right, so what's doing demosaicing? Well, if you're shooting JPEG in your camera, your camera's doing the demosaicing. Obviously, it's writing a JPEG file to the memory card. That JPEG file has color information in it. So your camera itself has something built into it that will do this demosaic process all by itself. And for a lot of cameras, I mean, I'm stunned at how well, this works. It's just amazing to me that the engineers could solve this problem so, so well and reproduce color as good as it does. It's it's really pretty amazing to me that that works. Um, and you can imagine that if we got a whole bunch of people together in a room and we gave them the task of solving this problem, of figuring out how can you use the data that we, we have available to us to reproduce or figure out what color the pixel should be in a in a you know computer program, we would have multiple solutions to this problem. Well, that's kind of the idea about raw files and how it is we're going to use raw files. What happens in your camera? We don't. It's it's whatever you know the engineers that built the stuff in the camera what they did. But when you have raw data and you set you you load that up on your computer and you use a raw processor like Adobe Camera Raw now the demosaicing process is up to Adobe Camera Raw and it's going to be the one that's going to look at all the data that's there from this the readout of the sensor the electrical charge information that was there and what photosites were green red and blue and it's going to be able to guess what each every pixel in the final image needs to be. It's going to present that to you as you're editing. And of course, when you export out of Lightroom or Photoshop, it's going to be writing that into the JPEG so that every pixel has color assigned to it based on the data that was in the raw file. There's other raw processors too that do demosaicing, and it's not going to be the exact same as what Adobe Camera Raw is going to do. Capture One, On One Raw, Luminar, there's others. We've already talked about how there's, there's a kind of a known weakness in Adobe Camera Raw where it just doesn't demosaic the Xtrans files very well. The, the, the raw files that come out of Fuji X cameras because they have the, the Xtrans filter, color filter array in front of the sensor, it doesn't do as good a job of guessing the colors and or doing the demosaicing process as some others do. And so, so people have preferred to use other raw processors on Fuji cameras because of it. All right. So with all of that background now, now that we've kind of oversimplified things, and I'm sure I'm going to get people that are going to tell me I described that incorrectly, and that's fine. You know, you can you can help me to better understand this process. But as I've you know read all this information, um, that was what I described to you is what I took away from all the research that I've done on how this works. 
Okay, now let's talk about then what is enhanced details doing here? We've laid the groundwork, oversimplified, but we kind of know now how it is that light is being converted into uh, a a digital or a, a charge on the sensor. And then something's reading that charge information off of the sensor. And in the case of raw files, if you're shooting raw, it's storing that directly. The information on the readout of the sensor of the charges across all those photo sites is going into the raw file and put on the memory card. Now we have to kind of narrow this discussion, the discussion from there to just Adobe software, because that's what we're talking about here. Adobe Camera Raw and this enhanced details feature. Now, Adobe Camera Raw has been around for a long time. It's been demosaicing files for as long as it's been around. That's kind of one of the primary things that Adobe Camera Raw has to do is demosaic the file so that we can see the colors and luminance values in a in an image rather and and make sense of it. Now, that process in Adobe Camera, I don't know if it's been altered. Obviously, they did do a little bit of work on it when they tried to address some of the issues with the X-Trans filters in Lightroom, the the release of Adobe Camera Raw with Lightroom CC 2015.1. That's obviously there was some work there. I assume work's been done on it all along the way. They're, They're learning from things, they're adapting a little bit. But when they make the change in the past, it has been very static, meaning, okay, we've decided how we can make this work a little better, but it's pretty much going to work exactly the same on every image. Now, maybe there's a little bit of variance that's been in there. I don't know. Maybe camera. Maybe one of the things they've done is added a bit more intelligence. Like maybe it started out very static, like it approached demosaicing a file exactly the same way on every single file, no matter what the subject was, no matter which camera it was. Maybe it was all identical. And as it's matured and as they've grown and developed it, maybe they added a little bit of variation there. But for the most part, it's solving the problem in a pretty unintelligent way. Not to mean that the the people who built this were not intelligent because I'm still absolutely stunned at how cool people are that were solving these really tough engineering problems and, and how really excellent... It, the process works going from red, green, and blue photo sites to full reproduction of color. It's amazing how well this works. I just flabbergasted it. The more I look into it, it's just so cool that people are this cool. I love it. All right. So not that they're unintelligent because they were super, super smart, way smarter than me, but the solution that they created doesn't have any real intelligence to it. Maybe a little, like I said, maybe they've it, they figured out ways to adapt and have the algorithm that's doing this demosaic process sort of look around at the pixels a little bit and be able to say, well, this one's a portrait, so I'm going to do the demosaic this way, or this one looks like it's a landscape with a lot of detail. I'm going to do the demosaic this way. But the that little bit of intelligence that might be there still led to, I'm going to probably process the same. If it does detect portrait, I'm going to process that portrait exactly the same every single photo, or I'm going to process this landscape the same every single photo, or maybe that's not even that intelligent. Maybe it is still really kind of processing every single photo, doing this demosaic process exactly the same way on every photo. What enhanced details is changing then? And what's kind of encouraging to me, we're going to talk about why this is encouraging to me in a second. They're trying to leverage 
the machine learning and computational photography capabilities that they've been building for several years now called Sensei, which they mentioned in their press release. And they're trying to approach this problem of demosaicing slightly more intelligently. They're trying to make it so that the computer now can try to have a little more intelligence as it's demosaicing the file. It's going to try to consider every photo uniquely. It's going to try to figure out how do I more intelligently guess the colors of all the pixels? How do I more intelligently guess at how the detail in this photo should be rendered? Uh, I have a lot of information. We have millions of photo sites that gathered light. And I have a lot of information that's in that raw file. How can I wade through that data, which is, of course, what machine learning and computational photography is all about, is kind of weighing through data, learning from data, and figuring out how to fine-tune results and make it so that it does a little better job than a static algorithm would have. So now, a portrait is not just a portrait, and it's not going to approach the demosaicing of a portrait exactly the same way. It's going to look at the details of the portrait. It's going to look at the data that's around it, all the photo sites that are contributing information. And they're trying to figure out how to unleash this machine learning and make it so that we can do a better job of demosaicing. Now, you got to imagine, for example, just try to bring this whole point home. If if we had a person or maybe a group of people, because I can't, oh, boy, this would be the most boring work in the world. But if we set a group of people in a room and they had access to all of this data, let's just say from a single photo, and they were responsible for going through every single pixel of the photo and looking at the data and deciding what the luminance and color of that pixel should be they'd probably do a way better job than these algorithms. People applying their cognitive thinking abilities, our brains, the way it works, the way we can make decisions, the way we can can kind of consume data. Even a child does a really good job of doing that. And as they mature and as they grow, they learn how to take inputs and information and process it and think about it, understand it. I mean, look at learning to read, how we can understand, recognize characters and learn to read or learning math and and those cognitive capabilities that we develop. We would most certainly do a better job than these algorithms, but it's totally impractical, obviously. We have millions of pixels that need to have this demosaic process happen across thousands of photos in a very short amount of time. And there's just absolutely no way a person could do this. So we've solved the problem for many years now by creating algorithms that can solve it and and do a fantastic job of it. Uh, Really, with the images we have, look at the, the beautiful images that you've been able to produce with your camera and how amazing it is that it's been able to work like it has. And now Adobe is saying, let's, let's just try to make it a little bit more. Let's try to do this a little bit smarter. And in the, with the initial release of this, their experience has been, as they've taught this machine learning what to do, that on some photos, especially X-Trans, you have a, a lot higher percentage chance that if there's an X-Trans filter in your camera, that uh, this is going to help you. There's a, a, a bigger chance that it will work. But a chance on some photos that you might get 30% more. 
Now, <laughs> if that's a lot of hemming and hawing there, if that's a lot of backpedaling, uh, that's exactly the way it should be described. This is a super new. The machine learning capabilities that Adobe's created is relatively in its infancy compared to you know all the other technology that they've had for many, many years available to us in Photoshop and Lightroom. And I love it that they're trying to apply that here, but it's not something that's very guaranteed. And rightfully so. It's brand new technology. I'm so glad that they didn't go and replace how Camera Raw was, is doing the demosaic process and just insert this machine learning one. That would have been terrible because, yeah, we might have had 30% more detail information in some cases for some photos, especially if you have a Fuji X-Series camera. But it takes a long time. If you've tried this, I mean, it depends on your computer. It depends on like the power of your computer, your video card in your computer. It could be 10 seconds or more. Uh, or maybe a little less, but 10 seconds-ish to do this on one photo. Now, import process is already slow enough, You have and, and it's demosaicing the files in, in doing that. Uh, you have you know the previews that need to be built. That's also kind of what's happening with the demosaic process and, and how it's showing it to you. So you're asking Lightroom to do this already. Can you imagine if they'd have just swapped it out, how much we would all hate Lightroom? <laughs> we, we wouldn't use it anymore. It just it would become completely unusable. And I know lots of you feel like it's that way already, but <laughs> it would get way worse, a lot worse than it is today. So I think it's, it's great that Adobe recognized we need to try this. We need to push ourselves. We need to, to see how can we apply machine learning to, to this situation. It's not showing so far that it's a dramatic result. It's not showing huge earth-shattering changes. But we need we want to get it out there. We need to get it in the hands of photographers. We need to have this thing learn. We've got to figure out how to better apply it. And the way we do that is having people use it. We need to, to get that information. And so what you shouldn't expect is, is massive changes. I, I think I've already laid that expectation out pretty clearly. But you know, I tested with my own Canon cameras. I threw a lot of my raw files at it that that I had on my hard drive. Uh, of course, my Canon camera has a bare color filter array in it. And fully honest, I really didn't find a single example across the, I don't know, I probably did 50 or so photos. I didn't find much of any difference. In fact, I think on most of them, nearly all, if someone did a blind test, and I, I probably should have tried this, I should have had like my wife try to do some blind tests and show me and see if I could recognize. But if I had a blind test and I and I had the before enhanced details and after enhanced details up on the screen, split view, I probably couldn't have told you which was which. It just for my Canon cameras, the bare color filter array inside of it, I really didn't see across any of the images that I tried a huge huge amount of difference. So you might think, well, that's lame. <laughs> Why are you even excited about this feature? Then? Why did you even do this episode if across my own testing, I couldn't make this work? All right. So, and it, I'm not alone here, by the way, either. I've seen a lot of other photographers who've given this a test. I don't know how exhaustively they've done it, but in the examples I saw them share, they kind of came to the same conclusion. It's really hard to even see you have to like pixel peep like crazy to really kind of see any difference. 
And even then, there's just usually not much of a difference. And uh, therefore, not not something that that uh, super useful because of it. I do think that there's some value in this. And I'm going to tell you when you should try to use it. I would try to use this. First of all, if you are a Fuji X shooter, then this might be something you want to take a look at. Now, if you're happy with a different software package, if it's doing the deal mosaic process for you and you feel like you're getting better results, or maybe you're using the the tool I mentioned already from Iridin Digital uh, to convert from raw to DNG and then take it into Lightroom so you can use the Lightroom tools from there to edit your photos. It's not worth changing your workflow for, from, from what you've got today to trying this out. That's absolutely not what you should do. Out of curiosity, you might want to do it or... Like I'm going to suggest to everyone else, I think together, collectively, all photographers that are shooting digital cameras right now, what I'd recommend is maybe give it a try on the very most important photos to you, whatever reason they're important. Maybe they're the the five-star photos that you've taken that are portfolio pieces. Maybe they are photos that are for a really high-end client. Maybe they are uh, personal project photos that whatever reason they're important to you, what, for whatever reason you want to do everything you can to get the very best image quality for a specific photo, absolutely worth trying it. It's absolutely worth taking 10 seconds to go right click in Lightroom on the image, do enhanced details, pixel peep, see if there's a, an observed difference that you can see. If there is, Awesome. You just got some more sharpness in your image. If there's not, oh well, throw away the DNG that you just created from the enhanced details process and move on. That's how I'd recommend you do it. Now, if you need a little bit more, like if there's still too many images to really consider that, um, the places that this works is in the fine details. Adobe mentioned that in their release. And I'm going to specify now what that means. So I think they offered a pretty decent example in their blog post that demonstrates the feature. So in their example image, it happened to be a Fuji X series image. I don't remember which Fuji camera, but it was an X-Trans filtered image. And they had a, in the picture, in the distant background of the photo, there was a traffic light in the photo. And the traffic light was red. So there should be a red circle in the traffic light. In the non-enhanced details version rendering from Adobe Camera Raw, the normal Adobe Camera Raw demosaic process, it did a pretty terrible job of rendering that red light. You might think, well, but there's red in the Bayer filter, or sorry, in the X-Trans pattern, there's red pixels. But you can think, this, this was such a little detail. It might have only fallen mostly on the green photosites, not on the red or the blue. And so as the demosaicing process is guessing at what the color should be there, it didn't do a very good job of guessing that red should be in this circle in the traffic light. And then they showed the enhanced details version and it did a much better job. There's a circle red in the traffic light. And you can see it in their blog post if you want to see that example. That's where it took 400% zoom in on the image to see that. That's how little, that's the fine detail we're talking about here. They're very small details in an image. 
So where else will you see fine details like that? Obviously, anything that's off in the distance in your photo, and there's details in there like edges of buildings, perhaps in a landscape, or uh, maybe a more pertinent example and one you might want to try more often. If you've done, let's say, a full body portrait shot, then the eyelashes of the eye on the person in the full body shot, that's pretty small, fine detail at that point. Uh, especially if maybe they're not even the, the body shots, not taking up the whole image, then it's really fine details. And you might end up with more definition in the fine details, the eyelashes, the eyes, things like that in in a portrait. So if there's full, there's really fine details. So maybe, uh, another one would be the texture of stone (laughs) in a photo, that might be a really fine detail that you could get more of or, or plants. There's fine details there. Really small, fine details where it maybe doesn't cross photos, groups of four photo sites very much. That's what you need to think of. Those are the types of photos where this has a chance to help. And if it's an image that's important to you, that might it's totally worth the 10 seconds it would take to give it a try and see if, see if it'll make it work. All right. So that's my suggestion on when you might want to try it. I think it's worth it. I'm going to do it myself. Any images where I have decided I want to get every ounce of image quality out of it, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to give it a try on landscapes uh, with the night, night photography I do. I'm going to give it a try there. See if my stars become more well-defined. It might work better. I haven't actually tried that one yet. So I, I need to go do that example specifically. I just thought of it while recording the show. <laughs> so I need to go do that. Uh, anything like that, where if you, maybe even before you take it over into Photoshop, if that's what you're going to do, that might be for me personally, how I'm going to decide to try it. If I care enough about an image that I'm going to go into Photoshop to do some work on it. Well, before I take it to Photoshop, I'm going to hurry and try the image, the enhanced details on it. See if it gives me anything more or not. It might give you something worse too. There is potential for that. So you kind of want to compare. You don't want to blindly do the enhanced details and then only bring the DNG that results over into Photoshop. You're definitely going to want to check the the two out and take the better of the two into Photoshop. But I'm going to try that out for a while. I'm going to see and and I'm going to probably train myself. It's hopefully going to train the software too. That's what machine learning is supposed to do is continue to learn. So if I feed it the photos, hopefully it gets better. I don't know that Adobe's getting any like phone home on this and and that it's going to actually learn. So I'm not exactly sure. They, they don't specify how the learning process itself is going to be. But uh, I'm at least going to learn myself what images it tends to help on and what it doesn't by just doing what I I described just now. When I go into Photoshop, before I do that, I'm going to quickly do enhanced details, take a look between the two, and I'll take the sharper of the two images into Photoshop and and move on. All right. With all that said, um, you may think, well, this is disappointing. It's only on some images, some of the time, you might get 30% more detail. That's not a very useful feature. It's not a very useful thing. Like it, I can't be bothered with this in my workflow. And if that's the case, that's cool. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't, you're not going to miss out on a ton, I guess, is what, what you should absolutely take away from the episode. You are not going to be like behind because you're not using enhanced details. Almost all the time, it's probably going to be completely unnoticeable <laughs> that there's any difference in the image. 
So you're not going to miss out on, on a huge opportunity there. But I still think the direction is exciting. I still think that there's something we can take away to say, this is cool, not because it's going to change my world. It's not going to change my workflow. It's not going to massively change the, the quality of my images. None of that's true. But I love that Adobe's trying. I love that they're, they're trying to think about how we, we have this machine learning, computational ph- photography technology. How can we apply that to the things that are going to matter to photographers? And sure, it's, maybe it's not fully baked right now. Maybe there's, hopefully, it's going to mature a lot. And, and they're going to be able to say, all right, now that we've released that, now that we've, we're, we've put a lot more data through it, we're able to we've we've been able to fine tune this and and really now you get up to 70% more detail or now it works like you know 50% of the time instead of only know, 2 or 3% of the time something like that whatever whatever it is i'm hoping that in future releases it's going to help or maybe this will be a total bust as applying it to the demosaicing process but in the process of trying to apply it to demosaicing they learn, the engineers learn a lot about how and where this machine learning technology can help. And maybe the next feature they apply it to, it's going to have far greater success, far more impact. And then then they can release it with that feature and be like, hey, all right, the enhanced details thing, that was cool. but And we learned a lot, but it doesn't really help. Here's something that does. Here's a place where it actually really, really matters. And it's going to be totally worth your sending that to us uh, or, or u- utilizing that feature. That's what is exciting to me about this. I love the thinking. I love that they're doing it. And Adobe's not alone here. Uh, you have Luminar has a bunch of artificial intelligence features that are in there and really cool. I've seen some some ways to add light rays to a photo that is really impressive and really fun. And I love that that engineers are working on this problem so that we have more tools to help us to realize our creative visions. How cool would it be? The Luminar feature, you know, the sun didn't cooperate. You didn't get the rays you wanted, but we can add it in after the fact in a way that's way faster, looks better than than we might've been able to do ourselves, which is kind of what I've seen with Luminar. So really cool, the direction and what we're doing there. I really, really love it. I think it's encouraging I am excited to see what the future brings, not only with Adobe. I'm watching all the different software vendors, seeing what they're doing, the cool things that they're working on. And it's just what an exciting time to be a photographer. I absolutely love it. So that's that's what I had for the show today. That's what I wanted to walk through. We're a little bit shorter than normal. Some of you will be kind of happy with that. Some of you might not be, <laughs> but but I'm I'm really it was a fun episode for me. I learned a lot researching it. And I hope that you enjoyed kind of the description of it. And I hope you you uh, you enjoyed the episode. I want to remind you about all the ways that you can connect with the show. And I, I really hope you will. I hope you'll share the show, expand the, the reach and the audience, help me out. Uh, I do this as a hobby. I do it part-time. It's a passion of mine, but I can only keep doing it if I can continue to grow the listeners. And, uh, and you can help me with that. So you can connect over at phototacopodcast.com. That's where the show notes are going to be. You really want to go, go see those. I am going to have a whole bunch of links uh, that link to the research that I looked at. And um, I'm only going to have like the surface level links that I went deeper than that. I'm not going to put every single link that I looked at in there. Um, but there's like a starting point where you can click on the links and it'll lead to the research that uh, if you if you want to see more about 
like this demosaicing process. If you want to learn more about how this works, um, dive into the details more. They really nerd out. Then I'll have the starting point of the links to check out so you can go do that. Then there's uh, Instagram. You can connect with the show there. It's at Photo Taco Podcast. And I'm checking that more than I have in the past. I hadn't done a whole bunch there. Um, and uh, you know, let me know what you'd like to see on Photo Taco Podcast on the Instagram account too. I'm interested to know, you listeners that are still with me at this point, what is it you'd like to see in the Instagram account? Let me know. I, I, I like that feedback. Also on Twitter, I'm more active there than I am on Instagram. On Twitter, it's at Phototaco, so you can absolutely message me there. That might be the best way to try to let me know what you'd like to see on Instagram. <laughs> or you can send me a, a DM on Instagram. I'd, I'd love to have the feedback. If neither of those are going to work, uh, Instagram or Twitter, then you can do old school, which is kind of funny that's called old school now. But phototacopodcast at gmail.com is the email address for the show. So remember... No topic is too complicated for the show. If I don't know the answer to the question, I'll either research it like I did on this one and do my best to try to go through it. Um, I'm sure I'm going to have people give me corrections, which I'll include in future episodes. So that's all great. I, I love learning this. I love trying to explain it to other people. It helps me to really cement it in my own head when I go to teach it or, or tell someone else how it works. And if, or, or I may even have an expert come on the show and be able to talk through it with me. Love diving into those topics. If you have an idea for the show, let me know through any of those, through Instagram, through Twitter, or through email, what topics you'd love to see me tackle and, and go through. Um, Photo Taco is part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. There's a lot of other shows in the podcast network, and you can find out about all of them over at masterphotographypodcast.com. Head over there, check things out. It's a, a really fun place to be. Together, we want to help you master your photography. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!